Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning. It is such a privilege to bring God's word to you here again today. It is so good always to come up after worship, um, especially our worship team. The worship, I really believe it brings, it prepares the way for the bringing of the word of God. And it's really just it's good to be able to do that. It's good to be able to worship and then bring the word uh, here this morning. Well, today is week number three of our study of the end of all things of the blessed hope, the return of the Lord, the end of the age, the things that we are looking forward to. This is week three of our study of what the scriptures actually, actually say and accurately say about the end of all things. I'm going to start today getting in more into the depth of what the word God tells us about the end times, but in so doing, there will also be a little bit more uh, of an introductory feel. I know you're thinking, well, three weeks in, why are we doing more introduction? It's, there's so much. There's just so much that you need to know as the foundation and the background as we're getting into this. So today, I'm going to start building a foundation by which we can start building the framing and the structure, putting the roofing and the siding. We're building this entire structure uh, piece by piece. So we're going to start today where any good conversation on the end times begins, and that is the actual words of Jesus himself. So today we're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 and see Jesus's actual words where he began to teach on it and speak about what was going to happen in the end times events, in the eschatology leading up to the return of the Lord. As we open our Bibles to Matthew 24, let's pray and let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, this is your time and we want to come before you as your people with hearts ready to receive what you have for us. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have had so far to be able to worship you through raising our voice to you in song. And now, Lord, help us to worship you by the study of our hearts and ears and mind. Help our minds, Lord, to be attentive to what your truth says. Father, I pray that you would use me as just a willing vessel for you to speak the things that we need to hear today. Lord, help us to be aware of the events that are happening all around us in the world. Help us to be aware of what you have said and help us, Lord, to be looking for your return, Lord, someday. We don't know what that day is going to be, but help us, Lord, to have hearts prepared and ready for your return. Thank you, Father, for this day. We pray for your blessing upon it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 24 today. It's, it's Matthew 24 and 25 really are among the highest peaks in the whole eschatology, eschatology mountain range where you begin to look at the study of the return of the Lord. It's one of the 
highest peaks that have been given because it's the words of Jesus himself. Um, and the reason why we're going to start here is because the disciples who loved Jesus with all of their heart, who were willing to follow him, they didn't really understand any of the events of the end times. And so they were coming to Jesus with the same exact issue that we come to him with, and that is just questions. They were essentially asking him the same questions that we are asking, which are how when and what? How will this work? When will this take place? What will be the signs that we should be looking for? What will be the exact things that will happen, Jesus, before you return? And really, those are the same questions we have. How will this work? When is it going to happen? What are the signs? What should we be prepared for? What should we be looking for? So with all of that said, there is some structural and contextual background that I need to give you before we get into Matthew 24 and before we dive deeply into that, that we have to understand that led up to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. There were a series of three sermons that were given by Jesus before the Passover events, before he celebrated Passover, before those events began to barrel toward Golgotha and his crucifixion. Three final things that Jesus would teach about. He gave a final sermon to the public in Matthew chapter 22. He gave a final sermon to the religious leaders in Matthew 23, and then he gives a final message to his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, what are these final three messages? Well, I believe they are significant and they are really leading up to the death of Jesus. If you knew that your end was near, if you knew that it was about the time of your death, what would you want to leave people with? What would be the final message that you would want to give to the people about your life's message, about your mission, about your purpose in life, about your ministry in life? What are the final things that you would want to tell people if you knew that I'm about to die? Well, that's the context of what's going on with Jesus. Jesus gives the first final message to the public. It happens in Matthew chapter 22. To the public who Jesus loved, to the public who Jesus kept calling, his final message was this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king, a father king, arranging a wedding for his son. We kind of heard that last week, didn't we? A father king who is arranging a wedding for his son. And therein lies the framework of the gospel of the kingdom. A father God, a father king arranging a covenantal relationship with a bride to be joined to, in union with a son that they would inherit the kingdom of God forever. All of the gospel is about that message, that God came here in order to collect a bride, to join that bride in covenantal relationship to his son that they might forever be together in eternity, that is the kingdom of God. That is the most simple, boiled-down definition of what the kingdom story, the kingdom narrative, and the kingdom message is all about. That's important because that's God's heart. God's heart is a heart of love. It's a heart of covenant. It's a heart of marriage, of unity, of oneness, and permanency. And that was the last message that Jesus wanted the public to hear before he was going to go to the cross. Then you shift gears. It's a dramatic shifting of gears that happens in Matthew 23. 
In Matthew 23, Jesus gives the final message to the religious leaders of the day. And the message was not love and not permanency, not covenantal relationship and marriage. The message to the religious leaders of the day were what we call these seven woes. Woes. What are, what are woes? Woes sound like an old English term. I mean, it sounds like something that would come out of England from the 1600s. You know, woe to thee. Uh, I, I will smite thee. That, that's what it sounds like. But that's not what the woe is. And I want you to hear the, the edge to what Jesus just said. Jesus is going to call down seven woes upon these religious leaders. And a woe is essentially, essentially Jesus saying, God condemns you. God will judge you. God's wrath and God's punishment will be upon you. That's the message that Jesus is giving to these religious leaders. And why is he giving that? Because they're fake. They're imposters. They say they love God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. This is really a wrecking ball to, to faked, faked religiosity. And when you're fake before God and you're not genuine before God, when your lips say you love him, but your heart is far from him, that brings forth God's condemnation and God's judgment. And so Jesus shifts gears from, I love you, I want you to be a part of the kingdom, to God condemns you. God will bring judgment upon you. Now, all of that leads to this final end teaching that Jesus is going to give to the disciples. And it's going to all launch at the end of Matthew 23 in verses 37 through 39, then carry over into 24 and into 25. It is Jesus speaking to Jerusalem that is going to set the context for everything that he's going to say to us today about what the end times events are. So what I want to do is I want to first give you a map. I want to give you the outline of how 24 and 25 work. And then I wanna break it down even further into how just 24 works so that you can understand it for yourselves and you can see the picture as we go along. So I'm gonna give you a roadmap. I'm gonna give you an illustration of this as well. This roadmap, I think of the roadmap, when I think of it, I think of uh, about a year and a half ago, Jennifer and I went to Ireland. We had the privilege of going to Ireland. One thing we learned is vacationing without your kids is awesome. It is just awesome. I love my kids. We do plenty of stuff with them, but I will tell you what, for a husband and wife getting together and going away, just the two of you, is phenomenal. It just blesses your marriage. It will strengthen your marriage. I would encourage you to do so. Um, I only have one of my kids in here at this moment, so I'll have to deal with that later. Uh, but vacationing with the kids, awesome. That's not what this is about. <laughs> That's a side note. This map... When we were there, we first went to Dublin for the first three days, and we walked around. We took the little train. We went to all the sites in Dublin, and then we decided, and we had decided this ahead of time, but we were going to rent a car. And so for the final seven days that we were there, we were going to have a, a car rental, and we were going to drive around the countryside of Ireland. Now, I had thankfully gotten on Google Maps because Google Maps works everywhere. And I had pictured the whole trip in my mind. I had looked at the maps. I had looked at where we need to turn. I had looked at where we needed to go. I had it all on Google Maps and it was prepared and I had it in my mind before I actually had to do it. Now, the reason I did that 
is because when we got to the airport to pick up the rental car, you, you know the, the whole story of Ireland, it is you're driving on the wrong side of the road. So instead of driving on the right, I'm driving on the left. And it wasn't just that, that the car that we rented, the steering wheel was also on the opposite side of the car. And in that, in that country, most of the car rentals, and the one we got was, they were all manual transmissions. So I had to shift gears with my left hand. Now the clutch, the brake, and the pedal were all the same, but I'm sitting on the right side of the car, steering wheel on the right side of the car, shifting with my left hand, driving on the wrong side of the road, Jennifer is going to sit next to me, but I'm used to her sitting on the right side. So I'm used to her nagging me from the right side. Now she's going to nag me from the left. No, that doesn't happen. She never does that much. She doesn't do it much anyway. Everything is backwards. So I'm there in the car, pulling out of, backing out of this, uh, of this parking lot there in, in Dublin, Ireland, and I am stressed to the max, and I haven't even started my hands are tense, my anxiety level is here, my stress level is here, my fear level is here, my uncertainty level is here. I have to look intently. I can't even look at the map. Jennifer, you've got to navigate. And that picture is what it feels like for a lot of people as we approach the end times. Anxiety level here, stress level here, things I'm seeing online up here, the YouTube videos, the Facebook posts, the blog posts, everything is creating anxiety and, and stress and uncertainty and fear. Well, we got going, and after about an hour of driving, it was a piece of cake from that point on. And in fact, by the end of the seven days, I was driving one-handed, looking around everywhere that I went, no tension, no anxiety, no fear. I could have just kept going and going and going. It's because when you become comfortable with it and you know the map to which you're following, the anxiety level goes down. I want to give you the map because when you know the end times events, the anxiety drops off. The fear level goes down. The worry goes down. God's got this. And now I can see unfolding before me the events of the day. And when you know the events of the day, everything that Jesus said, you don't worry about it anymore. You know that God's got this and he's got this under control. So let me give you a couple of maps or outlines of how we are going to attack this and what this is going to look like. Starting in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, Jesus is going to give a prophecy. And the prophecy is dealing with the end. This prophecy that Jesus is going to give is going to, in the disciples, provoke in them a series of questions. How, what, where? In fact, Jesus is going to say, answer all of those things, then in the next verses. Jesus will answer in Matthew 24 and 25 all of the questions that the disciples are asking in Matthew 24, 1 through 3, that they're relating to the prophecy that he gives in Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Now, those answers are going to be broken down in three ways. You're going to see, number one, prophecy. In chapter 24, verses 4 through 31, straight prophecy. It's not, it, it's literal it's not figurative. It's not imaginary language. He is just going to say straight out, these are the events. Straight out, here's what you need to look for. Straight out, here's what's going to happen. It is straightforward, literal prophecy that Jesus is going to give. Then 
he will transition into a series of six parables. Now, the parables, oftentimes they're preached completely out of context to these end times events, but they all go with everything that Jesus just taught. Then he will wrap everything up with a final prophecy, which is about judgment. It's about his judgment when he returns to judge the nation. So that is the roadmap, prophecy, followed by questions, followed by answers. The answers will be threefold, prophecy, parables, and a final prophecy. Now, Matthew 24 is going to break down and look like this. This is the events that we need to look for and be aware of. In the end of all things, Jesus is going to say that you're going to have three primary events. Number one, you're going to have what's called birth pains. Those birth pains are going to be global, social, ecological. They are going to happen to the church. They are going to happen worldwide. You're going to see these global, social, ecological birth pains that Jesus talks about. You don't know how long this is going to last or when this is going to be. We don't know when we are actually in this because there's no specific sign to tell you when you are in the birth pains other than these things are going to continue to escalate. But we do know, according to Daniel and Revelation, that these birth pains will be a three and a half year period that will then lead to the most significant event that we will get to. And that is what is called by Jesus, the great tribulation begins. The great tribulation begins. Jesus is going to talk about that happening. And when that happens, it's also known as Jacob's trouble. Now, Jacob's trouble is a phrase that comes right out of Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30, he says, you're going to have cries of pain and terror. There's going to be no peace The day is so great that there is none like it, none that has ever happened like it. It is called Jacob's trouble, yet he shall be saved out of it. Now, Jacob is a reference to Israel. Israel will be under severe, extreme trouble. That is the biggest sign. And that sign will kick off with something called the abomination of desolation. That is the events that's going to happen. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel says, this will be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Jesus says, this is the great tribulation or in the Greek, the tribulation, the great one. It is the beginning, uh, from the beginning of the world, there has been nothing like it, Jesus says. It all focuses around these events, this thing called the abomination of desolation. That will last for a period of three and a half years. At the end of those three and a half years, here's where Jesus says the biggest event that will happen is this, the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus will come at that time, and that's where the wrath, the judgment, the establishment of God's millennial kingdom that will last 1,000 years. All of those are the events that Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew chapter 24. So now you have the map. You understand exactly what he says. There will be birth pains. Then you will see a time of great tribulation, meaning that's the Jacob's trouble time. That is the time of the abomination of desolation, which you will understand and know as we get through this whole teaching on Matthew 24 and 25. And then 
there will be the coming of the Son of Man. Does that make sense? You're following that. That is the roadmap that Jesus himself is going to give. So here's how it affects us. One, we will start seeing birth pains, but we don't know if we are in the middle of it yet. There's the only one way to know, and that is when you get to this thing called the abomination of desolation. That's the map. After you get to the abomination of desolation, it lays it out. There's a three and a half year period or 1260 days, Daniel says, or uh, a period of what he says is a time times and a half a time. That's three and a half years or 48 months. He says all of that, that is the time of the end. So let's jump into the prophecy. Let's get it right at the beginning. Matthew 23 verses 37 through 39. And I am not going to get far in this because you're going to see what we're, where we're going to stop. Here's what Jesus says. This is the prophecy. Again, what has he done? He has laid out the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a heavenly father, a kingly father arranging a wedding for his son. That's the kingdom of God. You can be a part of the kingdom of God if you say yes to his proposal. Then he gives the series of woes to the religious, the fake ones, the ones that are not real, not genuine in their hearts. And at the end of all of the woes, here's what Jesus says, this incredible prophecy. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I long to gather you, uh, how long I, how I often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. That, that's a key phrase. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. The significant statements that are made. Now you may read that and you may think, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool, I guess, you know, but there is so much depth in what Jesus just said that it's going to take us a couple of weeks to unpack all that he is speaking of. He's going to start with these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's all the further we want to get today is those three words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And the reason being is these are the parting words of Jesus to Jerusalem. In this statement, Jesus is going to pronounce the fact that Jerusalem is guilty. And he's also going to say, here is the heart of my ministry. And that is, I want to gather you. I don't want to come to destroy you. I want to gather you, but you were not willing He's going to talk about the future desolation of Jerusalem, the temporary estrangement of Jerusalem, the promise of Jesus' return to Jerusalem, and the hope of Jerusalem. And so here's the title of the message today, Jerusalem, the epicenter of the end of all things. Here's why this is important. Most of us in America, like I have said before, are very myopic in our view we tend to think of events that relate only to our country. How does it affect me? What is going on that's affecting me today? How are the riots tied into this? How, are the, how is the vaccine tied into this? How is Bill Gates tied into this? How is the financial chip that they want to implant tied into this? How is making our brains an artificial intelligence tied into this? The answer is it's not. None of it is. 
The things that are happening in our country may be associated with the birth pangs, but they may not be. We, as a country, may fall under a different kind of judgment, but that is just speculation. Everything in the end centers around and hinges upon Jerusalem. So if you want to know if we are in the end times events, watch Jerusalem. Watch Israel. Everything hinges there. Everything is focused there. It is God's special place. It is God's special purpose. In fact, God himself says this in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 13. He says, yet I will not tear away the whole kingdom, but will give one tribe to your son for my servant David's sake and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Did you know that the Bible talks about Jerusalem over 1,000 times? It is the most talked about place in the Bible. It uses the word Jerusalem 814 times, the word Zion, which is a euphemism for Jerusalem, 160 times, and the city of David 46 times. Did you know that Jerusalem is God's timepiece? Everything that will happen in the final events of world history will culminate in Jerusalem. And it will end with the glorious return of the Lord to Jerusalem. Do you know that that's the place where Jesus ascended from? And it is the place that he will return to. In Acts chapter 1, it says, After saying all of this, while they were watching, Jesus was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they were standing, or while they were staring into heaven as he went up, suddenly two men stood with them in white clothing, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here staring into heaven? This Yeshua, Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That will be the ultimate final return, that he will return to the place that he ascended from. Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. He will return back to the Mount of Olives. That is why Jerusalem is the epicenter of all of the things that are going to come. It is the epicenter of God's plan. It is the timepiece that you can look to to know if we are in the end of time events. And as we get into this further, you will understand why it is so vitally important to watch those areas to know if we are in the end times events. There have been 3,000 years of lifetimes that have happened in Jerusalem. Abraham and Isaac, when Isaac was going to be sacrificed by his father Abraham, it happened right there in Jerusalem. David, when he saw Bathsheba out of his window, it happened right there in Jerusalem. Jeremiah, who was warning and crying for those that were going to be exiled, it happened in Jerusalem. Jesus walked the way of sorrows in Jerusalem, and he went to the cross, dying with forgiveness on his lips right there in Jerusalem. Everything happens there. Peter, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke first in the streets on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Now, there are three things that I want you to understand about Jerusalem for our ongoing study. Again, these are foundational things to know as we keep marching forward in the study of the end times events. The first thing I want you to see about Jerusalem is that Jerusalem is the nerve center of the world geographically. Ancient maps used to put Jerusalem at the very center of the map. 
When God gave directions, he didn't give north, south, east, and west like we have. It's as if God was standing in the temple looking toward the Mount of Olives, and that was called, and that would have been to the east, and that was called before him. Everything to the west was behind him. Everything to the right was below, and everything to the left was above. It was the way God looked at Jerusalem when it comes to the foundation of the world. It is the crossroads of life. Countries would come through Jerusalem, come through Israel in order to trade and do commerce and do business. God put them specifically where they needed to to be in order to impact the entire world. By the way, that's a good little side note. Did you know that God has the ability to put things in place exactly where they need to be to impact the world? That's what he did to Israel, but that's also what he does to you and I. Did you know that he put you exactly where you needed to be for such a time as this? He put you in the business you're in, in the organization you're in, in the church you're in, in the location you're in, in the community that you're in, because this is the place that he is going to use you to impact the world around us. God put Israel right there as the nerve center of the world geographically because they were going to have the ability to affect the world around them. Look at what it says in the book of Ezekiel chapter five. It says, thus says Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations with countries all around her. It is at the crossroads. All nations are focused on Israel. Do you know how big Israel is? It is about the size of New Jersey, yet all of the world events and all of the countries of the world are focused in on Israel, specifically in on Jerusalem. Jerusalem does not sit on a port. It does not have a major trade route that runs right through it. That's over more towards the sea, yet Jerusalem has always continued to exist. While other countries have fallen apart and fallen into ruins, Jerusalem has always been protected. Even when the Israelis did not have it, it continued to be protected. It is God's sovereign chosen city. While all other cities of that era, most other cities have all declined and and disappeared, except for a few little ruins, Jerusalem has always continued to exist and always continued to be. It is the geographical center of the world, according to God. It is the nerve center of the world geographically. It is God's chosen place and God's chosen plan. The second thing about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is also the storm center of the world prophetically. Meaning this, everything that will happen will happen there. Everything that will happen, the world will be caught up in it but everything will happen there. Here's what it says in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verses one through eight. It says this, behold, a day of Adonai the Lord. That is a reference to the end of days. Behold, a day, it's a reference, a euphemism for the last day. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided in your midst. And he's saying this to Jerusalem. A day is coming where you're going to be devastated. 
and they're going to carry off the treasures of your city. I will, this is God saying this, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to wage war. God is going to bring the nations against Israel. God is going to be the one to do this. In God's sovereign plan, his sovereign in times events, he will gather the nations against Jerusalem to wage war, and the city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women ravished. Half of the city is going to be exiled, but the remainder of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then Adonai the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. In that day, the last day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies to the east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split into from east to west, forming a huge valley. In other words, it's going to be a massive earthquake that is going to happen, and it's going to split the Mount of Olives forming a huge valley. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half of it to the south. Then you will flee through my mountain valley that just created because the mountain valley will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee like you fled from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then Adonai, my God, will come and all the Kedoshim, the holy ones, that is the saints of God, will come with him. In that day, there will be no light, cold, or frost. It will be a day known only to Adonai the Lord, neither day nor night. Even in the evening time, there will be light. Moreover, in that day, living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half toward the eastern sea and half toward the western sea, and both in the summer and the winter. So what is he saying? He's saying that will be the event. It will happen here. Jerusalem will be the center of it. Nations will gather around it. Nations will come and ravage it. Nations will come and destroy it. Then I will return and I will unleash my wrath against the world. I will return to the Mount of Olives, he says, and I will fight for you. Go back to Zechariah chapter 12. It says this, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of reeling to all the surrounding peoples when they besiege Jerusalem as well as Judah. Moreover, in that day, I will make Jerusalem a massive stone. Other versions say a burden stone for all the people. All who try to lift it will be cut to pieces. Nevertheless, all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against her. There will be a drama that will unfold that all of the nations will gather against Jerusalem and every part of the world will be caught up into this drama and into these events as they unfold. And that will set the stage for God saying, I'm going to return and I will wipe them out and I will bring my saints back with me. It will be a massive prophetic storm that will happen. Now, why do I say this? Think of this country, the size of New Jersey, or in Central America, the size of El Salvador. That's how big this is, small. It, it actually only makes up 0.33% of the world's GDP. It is not the wealthiest country. It is not the most powerful country. It is one of the smaller countries in the world, yet everything in the world focuses on it. All of the events culminate there. Do you know that in the United Nations, 
that the majority of resolutions that are made by all of the other member countries are against Israel. Why? It's small. It's insignificant. It's not the wealthiest. It's because it's God's chosen place. It is the prophetic storm center of the world. All of these events focus in there. That's why I say that Jerusalem is the epicenter of the end of all things. Number three, final thing, Jerusalem is also the glory center of the world ultimately. Do you know that this is the place that God will come to Jesus himself will return to, and this is the place that he will set up his millennial reign, his earthly throne. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word which Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it will come to pass in the last days. Again, what is the last days? That is the end of all. It is the last days. It is the end events. It will come about and come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Adonai's, the Lord's house, what is that? That is the temple, will stand firm as head of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills so all nations will flow to it. Then many peoples will go and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Then when people do that, and it, that's kind of like making a trek for Muslims to Mecca or to Salt Lake City for the Mormons, you're going to Jerusalem, to the temple of God. Then it says he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For Torah, that is the law, that is the decrees of God, will go forth from Zion, that's Jerusalem, and the word of Adonai the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and decide for many peoples. That's when the judgment will happen. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up the sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. Instead, let us walk in the light of Adonai the Lord. So what is he saying? In that day, when Jesus <clears throat> excuse me, comes to bring judgment, bring wrath, bring conclusion, all of the nations will come to him. The world will be changed. There will be no more war, no more talks of war. People will never know war again. It is because that is the ultimate glory center of God. It is the headquarters in this world. Jesus will return to that place and he will reestablish his earthly throne. All of that will happen at the culmination. Now, are we there? Not yet. Because there's a couple of things that had to happen before these things can actually take place. You know what had to happen for these things to take place? For Jerusalem to be the epicenter of all things? First, Israel had to be a nation. They, they couldn't do this unless they were a nation. They became a nation again in 1948. From 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed Israel and took over Israel, until 1948, they did not exist. God cannot come back to a place that isn't there. So Israel had to come back into existence. 
1967, when the Israelis were able to take over the Temple Mount, take over the old city of Jerusalem, everything was now set in place so that it could happen. Do you know that God restoring Israel was a prophetic event? Look at what it says in Jeremiah 31, 7 through 10. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and I will gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant together with she who is in labor with child. A great throng will return here. Did, did that happen? Absolutely. And it happens by the millions per year even now. A great throng will return here. With weeping and supplications, they will come with joy and excitement. I will bring them, leading them to walk by streams of water on a straight path where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of Adonai the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the distant lands. And say, he who scattered Israel will gather together and watch over him as a shepherd does his flock. For Adonai the Lord has ransomed Jacob he redeemed him from the hand of one stronger than he. It was an impossibility that Israel would exist today. There is no rhyme or reason to it except that this was God's plan from the beginning. How can you not believe that there is a God when you see the fact that he said this was going to happen and it did happen and there's no reason it should happen? Israel should never exist. Jerusalem should never exist if it were not for the fact that God said you exist and you will be the epicenter of everything that's going to happen in the end. In the book of Ezekiel, it says this, then say to them, thus says Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king to them all. There has not been a king since the time that this was written by Ezekiel. There was a proxy king who was Herod at the time of Jesus, but he was not a true king of Israel. There will be one king. It has never happened. Who will that king be? It will be Jesus when he returns. There will be one king and will be king to them all. They will no longer be two nations as they were again in the time of Jesus split up between Judah and Israel. They will be one nation from that time on. They will no longer be two nations. They will never again be divided into two kingdoms. The nation had to be restored. And guess what happened? It was restored. There's one event that needs to take place, and this is the event that we are still looking for. So you can rest assured that we are not there yet because this event has not happened, and that is that there has to be a temple that is returned to the nation of Israel. There has to be a third temple. Why? Because Jesus himself refers to it, as does Daniel as does the, does the Apostle Paul, as does the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, they all reference the fact that there has to be a temple. Jesus himself in Matthew 24 is going to say this, 
So when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, that is the temple of God, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's because it's the time of Jacob's trouble. So he references the fact that there has to be a temple and it has to be standing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come. That day is the day of the Lord's return. It will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That is the Antichrist. You'll learn who that is going to be, I believe. Not, not a specific name, but where that person is going to come out of. The one who is destined to be destroyed. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in the temple of God, proclaiming himself that he is God. It has to be standing again for the end times events to happen. Now, I say all of that to let you know this. Did you know that they could be seconds away, minutes away from the temple being rebuilt? They have a temple institute there that has everything in place. All of the furnishings for the temple, all of the rituals for the temple. The Sanhedrin is in effect. They have been breeding the animals for sacrifices to start again. In fact, this past Passover that happened in April, they were doing sacrifices of lambs in preparation for the return of the temple. Everything is laid up. Everything is ready. Now we just need some massive geopolitical events to take place in order for that to happen. Now there is speculation by some archaeologists that they are on the wrong site where they think it is right now. And if that's the case, it could go up in a, in a, you know, a short amount of time. The temple is what is left. And what happens after the temple is restored? Sacrifices begin again which sets the stage for the abomination of desolation to happen, which sets the stage for three and a half years later, the return of the Lord and the restoration of all things and the resurrection of the dead. All of those things are there waiting to happen. So now why do I tell you all of this? Because this is foundational information to understand as we study the end times. To understand all that Jesus is going to say, you have to understand that everything doesn't center around the United States. It's not about us. It's not about this country. It's not about this region. It's not about this hemisphere. It is about Israel. That's where to look. That's where to watch. That is where to prepare for. That is the epicenter of the end of all things. If you are not paying attention, I would highly encourage you to start paying attention to the events that are happening there. The events that are happening there are beginning to set the stage that these end times events may just indeed happen in our lifetimes for sure, if not ours, in our children's lifetimes. I personally believe they could happen in the next decade. And as we start going toward that, you could say, look, I'm not worried. I don't have high anxiety. I'm not fearful because I know the roadmap and I know these things have to happen and I'm okay with it because that's going to mean that the Lord will return as these things draw to the end. Well, 
That sets the stage for what we are going to talk about next week, which is Jesus saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's what's going to set the stage when Jesus answers the questions that the disciples ask of him, which is when, what, and what. Those are the questions that they're going to ask. And then Jesus is going to say, well, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. You can know the events that are going to happen, and we're going to look at those together next week. Well, let's wrap this up in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I know that this is a lot of information. I know that there's a lot of foundation work that we just did. But Lord, we need to realize that you are sovereign over all things. In other words, Lord, you are in control. These are the events that will happen, that must happen, that you have prophesied will take place. These are the things that we need to look for and be aware of. Lord, these are the things that you're going to work out in our world as we are looking toward you for your return. I pray, Father, that we would take seriously your love for Israel, your love for Jerusalem, and that we would be prepared to pray for and support in any way that we can. Father, help us not to be fearful Help us not to be worried. Help us not to have high anxiety, Lord. Help us to trust you as we walk through all of these things. Father, I also pray, just like you did for Israel, you put Israel exactly where they needed to be. You put them in the crossroads of the community and of the world. In the same way, Lord, you do that for our lives. You put us exactly where we need to be at the exact moment we need to be there to make an impact and a difference for your kingdom's sake. Lord, you've put us in the jobs we need to be in. You've put us in the community that we need to be in. You've put us in the situations with the friendships that we need to have in order to make an impact for you. And I pray, Father, that this next week that we would be looking for opportunities to make a difference for you. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for caring about us, and for giving us this picture of what the end is going to be like. Father, we trust you, we lean upon you, and we ask for your blessing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.